Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Matt Harmon and today we have a special guest, TJ Hernandez, director of DFS for 444.com is here to talk all things fantasy right now. TJ, let's let's I know you very well. The the people who know us both very well know that we we go back a yeah. long ways. But for the people who don't know, tell us a little bit about your work. Yeah, I've been um, writing uh, about fantasy football for going into my seventh year, I believe. Um, way back in the day, started with a uh, not my first, but one of my first jobs with a little site called Sportable, and had a Sunday morning show with the up and coming writer named Matt Harmon, uh, and <laughs> that catapulted my career. I've done done a bunch of work for uh, sites like. Um, Rotor Grinders Fantasy Insiders, which is now part of Rotor Grinders. Um, obviously, Four for Four, which I started with back in 2014, um, and and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, started um, with with redraft and DFS. Now my main focus is DFS. Obviously, you mentioned the DFS director, um, but still very very much in the redraft game, um, especially on the best ball side of things. Yeah, and one of the things that I really appreciate about you um, and the way you approach the game is you take in a lot of different information, especially during like during the season for, for DFS and for lineup building. There's so much out there. But uh, my producer in particular wanted me to highlight one of the articles that you wrote, uh, Most Predictable Wide Receiver Stats. Yeah. Uh, and look, I think that's a good one to, for us to kick around here a little bit because sure. obviously I do a lot of work with wide receivers. But you kind of want to give us an overview on some of what are the most things that we want to like look for that's predictive year to year. Sure. I mean, that article, um, it's basically just kind of looking at uh, previous season data and seeing um, what carries over. Obviously, it's not a a comprehensive um, projection model or anything like that, but really just like what can we really rely on? What is noise? Um, What are things that are going to change from year to year? And and, uh, really, the, the short of it is we can look at volume, uh, everything that is a volume step, whether it be uh, receptions, yards, touchdowns, fantasy points, all that is birthed from targets. Um, targets, I, I would argue, is a 
uh, indicator of talent. You have to be talented, um, whether it's it's um, getting open, beating your opponent, winning um, at the point of the catch. Uh, if you're good at those things, you're going to get more targets, and all of that is going to result uh, in the volume and the fantasy points that we're looking for. And we see that uh, targets per game uh, have a year-to-year correlation of, of uh, 0.69, which is 0.7 is kind of what we're looking for, like a, a high correlation of a statistic. Um, and then things like efficiency numbers, uh, they don't hold up. So things like touchdown rate, things like yards per target, things like catch rate. Uh, we, you've talked a lot about how uh, drops don't necessarily matter, and they all, they're not sticky from year to year either in general. Um, so all those efficiency numbers, they are great for fantasy when you can find those outliers, but really those outliers are generally going to regress um, to some kind of mean, whether it be uh, a league mean for something like a touchdown rate or a player mean if we have somebody that has, um, if they've been playing the league for five or six years, maybe we know that maybe they're going to be slightly above or below average in these efficiency numbers. But it's good to know uh, how to analyze that. Um, is it going to carry over or is it going to regress? And really the king of of all of these uh, year-to-year numbers is air yards. Air yards is among the most uh, sticky numbers or average depth of target, however you want to define it, uh, from year-to-year. Uh, correlation of 0.76 and and kind of similar to what I talked about with targets, that is going to be even more predictive of um, fantasy value. So uh, nothing new here, but just kind of a, a reminder Uh Players that run deeper routes and are targeted a lot are the most valuable receivers. Yeah, I mean, I think Dalton and I talked about this on a few episodes ago, and he asked me whether doing reception perception, which I'm sure people on the pot are sick of me referencing, but, you know, too bad. It's me. This is part of the deal. Uh, but, you know, with reception perception, has it kind of changed the way I look at any stats or whatever? And I had told him that honestly, the more I do it, almost the more radical I feel like my opinion gets, which is just things like yards per target, touchdown rate, like you said, catch rate. I just think anything that's divided into a target is almost worthless when looking at even looking at like wide receiver quality, like who's good and who's bad, because you're essentially there like you're we're welcoming in other variables. But I would also say that one thing that I I kind of believe doing more work with wide receivers over the years is that players are who they are for the most part. And I think things like you said, targets as a measure of quality make a lot of sense that sticks year over year. Average depth of target, I think, is probably one of the most useful stats when you're talking about who is a wide receiver, where do they get targeted on the field? And then that, I think, births the rest of their just raw stats outlook. So yeah, I think that this makes a ton of sense, even though it is stuff, it seems basic, but it's stuff that we, we lose when thinking about things throughout the off season. Cause we look at guys like, you know, Nicole Hardman or whatever, have so many yards per target that we, we tend to kind of lose. And I'm not saying like specifically that he's not good or whatever, but we get lost in those things and we forget to take it back to basics. Yeah. And it, it seems basic, but I mean, you, you look at how people think about fantasy football and how the market um, uh, moves in fantasy football. And the biggest indicator of average draft position is how a player performed the year before. So even though it is basic in a theory sense, it rarely comes through. Um, in practice, people get so dialed in on, on what happened last year instead of the why of uh, how it happened. And I mean, you said it 
maybe as obvious as anyone can say it, uh, all these numbers that are divided by targets, like it's the most literal translation of what's the common denominator here. It's always going to be targets. Yeah, exactly. So generally, I, I do think we, we overlook the fact that targets are a measure of quality. Uh, the like teams obviously believe this guy is good. And, you know, over the over time, they are they could be proven wrong. You know, some guys get heavily targeted for a couple of years and then they've just finally washed. I think of Kelvin Benjamin's like a perfect example of a guy <laughs> yeah. who got fed a lot of volume. Sure. And then eventually the team's like, OK, bad idea. Let's stop yeah. doing that. So, yeah, it's just one way of looking at it. Yeah, there's always extenuating circumstances. I mean, again, it's not a perfect year-to-year correlation. You have to use some discernment. But uh, in general, if a player is getting a lot of targets, that's going to keep happening. Yeah, exactly. Now, one of the other things in this article that I think is worth mentioning, you talked about air yards as a, as a king of, of wide receiver predictive stats. That's definitely a great point. But people do often throw out you know, red zone numbers, mm-hmm. uh, red zone target, red zone uh, receptions, whatever, the red zone touchdown rate. Uh, let's go, let's dive into kind of how that can be tricky year over year, or it can, you can end up fooling yourself with red zone looks in one way or another. It's a, it's an even more extreme case of what I mentioned uh, up top about the efficiency metrics being misleading and something like touchdown rate, um, having huge variance year to year, uh, because the sample is even smaller, which is going to lend itself to even more variance. I mean, even the, uh, the guys that are seeing the most volume in the red zone, the league leaders are sometimes 25, maybe 30 targets at the most. Uh, so mm-hmm. a sample size that small is just going to lend itself to uh, really high variance numbers. You're going to see wide receivers that can, they'll have 20 red zone targets and sometimes a 40 to 50% touchdown rate. Um, not only is that touchdown rate obviously not sustainable, the league average is usually somewhere around 24, 25%. Uh, but that volume just isn't sustainable. I mean, someone like uh, like Devontae Adams, who he has seen the most red zone targets over the last five years, one year he might see uh, 30 red zone targets, the next year he might see 18. And if you combine that with that uh, huge shift in um, touchdown rate, if he gets the low touchdown rate in the low volume year, which is could easily happen, then he could have that season where all of a sudden he only has three touchdowns. And uh, I think because so many touchdowns come from inside the red zone, even though it is an arbitrary cutoff in terms of yard line, like as you get close to the goal line, we get more touchdowns. I think it's important to to look at those numbers and, and see which guys um, might have some kind of variance either in the volume or in the touchdown rate, which really has big swings. Yeah, no doubt. And on that note, I'm glad that Adams was a specific example in this article because he's a guy who I am going to rank as my wide receiver one this year. I love uh, that. Yeah, well, look, I mean, this is what you said before. ADP is so much predictive of like just what happened last year. Uh, So like there probably will not be but maybe 15 to 20 drafts where Michael Thomas won't go as the top wide receiver in fantasy but it took a just like it is with the top running back last year in Christian McCaffrey it takes a confluence of events for that player to be the best player at that position and that might not happen the year after you know this yeah. might I think with with Adams in particular all the variables that led you to be so high on him last year like I had him as wide receiver one last year those are all in place this year even if we think Rodgers is is on the decline so to me, I think he can easily, you know, rebound more towards 
maybe not 30% red zone touchdown rate, but even 25%, something like mm-hmm. that. And with the volume that I expect him to get, I think he could have the 2019 Michael Thomas season maybe at a little bit of a discount. Yeah, I don't even think that's like, like I think people will just hear anything that doesn't put Michael Thomas as a wide receiver one kind of like hot takey, but really it isn't. When, um, when Adams came back from injury, I don't remember uh, what week it was last year, he was like, dominating like week, tar- 12. Tar- week 12 he was dominating target share i think he was ahead of michael thomas in like four of the last five games or something like that um and after the draft when the packers didn't do anything to address the wide receiver position i i tweeted out kind of tongue-in-cheek but kind of serious like if you think about his range of outcomes that's cool that michael thomas's catch record is going to last one whole year <laughs> yeah no right but i mean honestly it is towards that peak range of outcomes, and I think we'll talk more about range of outcomes for the real reason I brought you on the pod today. But let's move into some kind of current news since last time we were here. Uh, Raheem Mostert requested a trade from the 49ers. I remember this notification popping up on my phone. I was kind of like, wait, you know, <laughs> what are we t- what are we talking about here? Uh, but anyways, I guess the the nuts and bolts of it is – NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reported that Raheem Mostert wants his $3 million salary more in line with Tevin Coleman's $4.5 million, which doesn't seem like totally unreasonable. You know, Raheem sure. Mostert was a playoff hero. Uh, he was great leading up to the Super Bowl. Uh, he was a story. You know, he uh, finished really well in fantasy. A lot of people that picked him up off waivers surprisingly got a top running back to end the year. But what were your thoughts on Mostert heading into this news, and has anything really changed here? Yeah, I mean, just as far as the news goes, I, I don't know if um, if things are really going to change in terms of how we should analyze San Francisco's backfield. Like, I just don't know what the market for uh, a running back is. There, I, I don't think there's any obvious starting job available. Every other team, just like the 49ers, is like a running back by committee. Like this is the most likely starting job for him. Um, but I, I don't think even going into the news that he wanted a trade or wants uh, more of a salary, like I don't know if people should have been as high on uh, Monster as they were uh, right now. Like he's going as the RB25 across all sites, uh, 45th in Yahoo ADP compared to Tevin Coleman, running back 43, 138th um, in Yahoo ADP. And you, you mentioned uh, Mostert had a great uh, stretch to end the season, obviously uh, some huge games for fantasy, some huge games in the playoffs, but he wasn't getting that touch share that you would expect from a workhorse back. Like none of these guys except for maybe Christian McCaffrey and Saquon are getting the say 80% touch share um, running back touches, but something like two thirds is something you want to shoot for from a starter. If you look at the stretch for Mostert when he was just going off from week 12 to the end of the season, he was still under a 60% touch share. He didn't break a 40% touch share until Matt Breda had already been hurt out for two weeks. Uh, they were trying to give it to Tevin Coleman after uh, Breda got hurt. It took him until week 12 to get the the starting job, and even then he still wasn't dominating touches. It was very touchdown dependent. Kyle Shanahan is an outlier in terms of coaches if we look at uh, running back committees, and and that's something that I think people get wrong a lot, just the coaching impact on, on touches and targets, what, whatever position it is. Usually talent is going to drive those touches, but we've seen Shanahan do this year 
in, year out, whether it's with Atlanta or San Francisco, um, he just isn't going to give a running back, unless it's some uber talented guy, the majority of touches. Um, since he's came to San Francisco, only six times has a running back broke 70% touch share. It only happened once last year. And we've seen him not give it to Mostert, even when he is going off and Mostert's a player that he's been in the league for four or five years and only has like this five game sample of being really good um and we already talked about efficiency with wide receivers the same as with running backs tight ends whatever it is those efficiency numbers aren't going to hold up yards per carry touchdown rate none of those things are going to maintain typically year over year and even though Mostert was going as the running back 24 25 whatever that's you might consider that a, a relatively low cost for a potential starting running back in a great offense, but we always have to think of opportunity cost. And uh, there's just so many players I'd rather have in that range, like the, um, especially the pass catchers. Uh, we have uh, Calvin Ridley, uh, Terry McLaurin, DJ Chark. Like I'd rather have these guys that are potential league winners than a guy in an offense that just hasn't shown the dominant touchdown that I'm looking for. And he doesn't catch the ball. That was the point that I was going to bring up. He's he's not a receiving back. Uh, from week 13 to, to the Super Bowl, he never saw more than two targets in any game. And yes. you're generally not going to get a ton of receiving work anyways because it's a, it's a low-volume passing offense. But still, like if Mostert was a guy that I could bank on for maybe, you know, three catches in a week or something like that, that could save the floor. Also, if it did turn into a committee situation or anything like that, then he's getting the more valuable side of that committee. But there's, there's just a ton of risk in mm -hmm. his profile. Like I Dalton has is, is pretty bullish on Mostert, So he's been kind of pushing that side of it. And I get like the ceiling argument. If he is over 16 weeks, the top running back in this particular scheme, like that's going to be, it's going to be huge. And he, his ADP would probably look like a value, but I think the, the odds that that's the outcome are extremely low. And I think that the risk there is like, I think this, look, Matt Breida like, could have been the guy going into the season. Tevin Coleman could have been the guy going into the season. And we're never even talking about Mostert. And I think that that's within the range of outcomes here that by week 16 of 2020, we're not even talking about this guy as a starting fantasy option, yeah. period. And, and we, I mean, we have to think about it. Like, if you're playing in, in a best ball league, fine. Um, if Monster dips a little bit, uh, if you could get him as a running back, 27, 28, that's, that's a good value. If you're in a typical redraft league where you have to decide who you're starting, this is just going to be a nightmare. Like, we have no evidence that Shanahan is going to give any of these running backs 65, 70% of the touches in the game. Who knows where the touchdowns are going to come from? Jeff Wilson led the team in touchdowns from inside right. the five yard line last year. Jarek McKinnon is still lingering. I know he yeah, hasn't well, done anything. He's point. been injured, but if, I mean, Coleman didn't even catch that many balls last year. I think he only had one more catch than Mostert. Obviously, was um, on, on a few more targets, but Jarek McKinnon could be the guy that comes in and all of a sudden sees. Um, 60 targets instead of uh, juice check or whatever. Like it just, it's just an ugly, like there's so many things that can happen in this offense that the likelihood of Mostert being the clear number one in this backfield. Um, I, I just don't see it happening. And then when they started their playoff run, the most important time of the year, Coleman got 22 yeah. touches in the first playoff game to 12 for Mostert. So there's, it, it's, it's ugly. I think uglier than people want to admit. Yeah, I mean, it's this is another perfect example of ADP being driven by 
you know, the last thing that we've seen or just last season, because you're right. There's really no evidence. Like if the 49ers actually caved into this contract demand and were like, yeah, monster, look, we really like you. Let's here's, here's some money just to even bump you up over Tevin Coleman because you were probably the best back on the team last year. That might even be a little kernel of evidence, but the fact that it's gotten to a point where he's now requesting a trade and and I'm with you, there's really no, there's really no market out there for Raheem Mostert. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Bill Barnwell from ESPN actually made the point. I thought this was, I thought this was fascinating because this kind of, I think shows my conflicting feelings on the whole running back market thing. Bill Barnwell said asking for a trade away from the lead role in a Kyle Shanahan offense is not something I would advise for running backs. But then Bomani Jones also of ESPN like first reply here is neither is burning your best years for less than you're willing to live with, which is like, I think both of those things are, are ultra fair points. And this is why I feel so much conflict internally when talking about running backs. Cause I'm kind of like, yeah, monster, like you're a great story, get your money, but also like there's no one out there really going to pay this. Yeah, the, the irony is, like, I just basically bashed him as a fantasy asset, and then if you look at the real-life terms, there isn't a better situation than the one he's in right now. Exactly, yeah. Like, th- again, if this was Raheem Mostert on, when he when he used to be on the Eagles, or I think he spent some time with the Jets or whatever, like, he, he comes up and has a couple of big weeks for those teams, they're not going to look anything like what, what they would have in a 49ers offense. So, it's a tough spot for Mostert, and I feel I feel bad that he's you know in this position. But again, I as a fa- purely as a fantasy asset, I, I number one don't think he's going to go anywhere better. I don't think there's a situation where he can get traded and then is going to walk into a starting gig. And even as the theoretical starter here in San Francisco, not really a guy I find myself gravitating to at his current cost. Definitely. Uh, all right, let's let's move on, TJ, to the real reason I wanted to bring you on this podcast and. Look, if this is turning into the Yahoo Fantasy Josh Allen show, uh, I'm sorry to the haters, but it is what it is. I I referenced TJ's article last show where he – essentially the title is, look, straight off the bat, Josh Allen can be this year's Lamar Jackson. And when you first hear that, it's like, oh, holy man, hang on a second. (laughs) But I feel like I reference people's articles or work on the show all the time. And then, you know, how many people like actually care enough about what I just said to go and like – read the article who knows so i wanted to bring on tj to actually talk about it because i think it's really it sounds like a hot take but it's really well 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 reasoned and we can kind of go piece by piece here but essentially let's let's just let's just thread this thought out here sure um i i appreciate you mentioning that it is a little well thought out because yeah the title grabs you but um it, it is actually a very measured take um and let's, I talk, get- let's talk about that for a second though tj because look uh that is good like that's good Good quality internetsman, you know that's <laughs> sure. like grabbing headline, but good like actual good work behind it. Like you could have wrote five hundred words and it'd just be a hot take, but it's it's actually you got to you got to get people people talk about this like clickbait or whatever. Yeah, no, 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 no. you got to get people in the door. Yeah, the, I mean, but the the kind of the outline of the article, it's it's really not as crazy as you think. Like like the, can he be this year's Josh Allen? I mean, this year's Lamar Jackson. A running quarterback that was drafted relatively late that finishes the QB one with a possible MVP season on a surprise team that's really good. All of those things can um, happen. And we're, we're just talking about uh, price versus upside. And this didn't come out of nowhere. Actually, like, it actually was spawned for me listening to other people's takes and just kind of like 
Christian knowing to this article that people are yelling me at me about a lot. Um, I mean, it's, it started way back around the draft when I was listening to Evan Silva and Adam Levitan talking about some long shot MVPs. Um, and they brought up Josh Allen as one. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Sounds like a fun, they're just kind of talking about sports betting. Um, sounds like a fun bet. You can make a lot of money on it. I kind of put it in the back burner. Um, reception perception came out, not to stroke, uh, the Matt Harmon ego, but I know Matt Harmon loves a good ego stroke. Uh, got down on the Bills receivers. And then I really got thinking like, all of these things can happen. Bills are in a wide open AFC after the Chiefs and the Ravens, uh, AFC is wide open, and I mean, right now the betting odds say the the Patriots are the favorite to win the division. But I mean, is anybody going to be surprised if Bills win the division? They're a very good team. And then price versus upside. I think I actually think in terms of <clears throat> how the quarterbacks are being drafted relative. Like, I'm not going to pay Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes price in a redraft league, but like how they are being drafted, I actually think it's very sharp. I think the top seven quarterbacks being drafted, including Josh Allen are the seven quarterbacks that have the quarterback one in their range of outcomes. We'll get to the why with Josh Allen, but just from a price perspective, all the other quarterbacks besides Josh Allen are going often in the first five, maybe six rounds. Josh Allen's going a little bit later. Um, his ADP on Yahoo's 63rd overall, but in best balls that I've been doing on Yahoo, often getting him uh, in the eighth round, sometimes ninth. And then if you look at other formats, whether it be best ball or just mock drafts, sometimes as late as the 10th to 12th round. So you can bet just on the pure upside when you're getting a quarterback in the 9th to 12th round with the floor that Josh Allen has. We know he has the floor. He was the QB7 last year, the only quarterback besides um, Lamar Jackson to rush over 100 times. And if we go back to 2018 from that week 12 to week 17, depending on the scoring system, we saw him have the QB one in his range of outcomes. He was either the top quarterback or the second quarterback to Deshaun Watson, depending on the scoring system you're using. So I want the player that I've seen do it before. Like you're going to get the floor from him no matter what. So you're just betting on pure upside with him with a relatively cheap price in a lot of drafts. Yeah, I love that. And also I love that the first thing in the article is the rushing ability. Uh, There's a link in here to another piece where it's, uh, you know, like rushing might be a prerequisite to being an elite fantasy option in today's climate. Like that's a hundred percent true. You know, forget it when it, with all of these kind of pocket uh, statues, everything like that, guys who don't have that rushing upside, you know, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't, they don't matter as much in fantasy period. And I think that's why I've gravitated so much to Allen because we, like you said, we already have the baseline of the fact that he's one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the NFL. And you know, I think that you talk a lot about, too, about deep ball passing and everything like that. That was one of the things that I highlighted in my Josh Allen piece. I know I quoted it earlier. You know, when he gets rid of the ball quickly, when he gets rid of the ball in short to intermediate areas, he's actually at least an average starting quarterback. Yeah. The deep ball was a was a mess last year. Yep. There's there's no getting around that. But you want, like, you, talk, you continue to talk about it. It sounds, like, it sounds like a knock to say, like, most of Lamar Jackson's passing stats his raw passing numbers are inflated by the fact that he's throwing the ball you know shorter than 10 yards of, of from the line of scrimmage yes. but that's not necessarily a bad thing that's just smart coaching and i think sure. the bills can be smarter this year too sure and and the kind of the reason that that i, I laid that out like i think a lot of people are going to to take what um i have to say whether it be on twitter or in this article if you're comparing lamar jackson to josh allen 
Uh, you're either crazy for for thinking Josh Allen um, can be Lamar Jackson. I don't. They're not the same quarterback. I'm, I'm not saying yeah. that. Or they're taking it as Lamar Jackson bashing, and that's not what it is. The point is to to compare these numbers and understand that Lamar Jackson didn't become the quarterback one the way we've seen a Peyton Manning or an Aaron Rodgers do it. Um, he was efficient through through touchdowns, but he actually wasn't like extremely accurate. Um, he threw a lot of balls under 10 yards, like you mentioned, but if we break down his accuracy, I, I use Sports Info Solutions on target percentage, so you're going to get some variance depending on what advanced metric you use, but the point remains is like the numbers were comparable. If we look at 10 to 15 yards, 15 to 20 yards, and 20-plus yards, uh, Josh Allen's on-target percentage was actually higher uh, than Lamar Jackson's. And now Lamar Jackson obviously had the higher completion percentage, and if people um, if people ask, do you even watch the games, that really just means, did you see the highlights for most people? And the highlights show, the highlights show Lamar Jackson throwing dimes. But a lot of his throws weren't on targets. The one that were on target, they went for big plays. If we look at all of his passes 15 yards beyond, he had a 16% touchdown rate on those passes. That is insane. That just means he was he hit the absolutely high range of outcomes. And the point is that with Stephon Diggs now um, and John Brown, who you highlight as two of the best receivers in terms of route runners. And then if we look at average target depth, both of them ranked in, in the top 11 um, in average target depth. That's That at least is going to help Josh Allen. It's not going to make him more accurate, but it's probably going to give him a, a, a bigger margin for error just because you're not going to be able to just focus on Smokey like you were last year. Smokey ranked uh, top six in terms of target share on balls 15 or more yards downfield. He was basically the only one that Josh Allen was throwing to on those deep balls. Um, so now they have two guys, and we've seen through, like we've done studies at 444, other sites have done studies, like the deep ball in terms of fantasy production, it's the most uh, efficient and effective pass in terms of producing fantasy points. It's going to be high variance but again, we're, we're betting on the high end of the variance here and hoping that all these things come together. You laid out in your article why it could, he could just be better from a real football perspective and hope that results in the high end of his, his possible efficiency. Yeah, I think we can't understate or can, we can't overstate how dramatically different this Bills receiver core looks from when mm -hmm. Allen entered the league. You know, yeah. when it, it, during his rookie season, we're talking about Zay Jones, 102 targets, <laughs> Kelvin Benjamin, yeah. who we already talked about, 62 targets, LaShawn McCoy, 46 targets. Those are the top three targeted players on the Bills during his rookie season. Obviously, John Brown, I think, is a 1B receiver. He gets there last year. Cole Beasley's a solid slot guy. You know, now they have, they add Stefan Diggs, who I think is an alpha number one coverage dictating elite separate at all levels type of wide receiver. Like, they have a 1A, 1B. They have Beasley still in the slot. Dawson Knox is a player to keep on your radar because he's an athletic tight end entering his second season, who I think flashed a little bit too. They also have two young, interesting running backs in the backfield too. Like, like you said, I think the Bills, even despite Cam Newton signing with the Patriots, like we just don't know what that's going to look like. I think the Bills should still be considered the favorite to win that division because the infrastructure is there for them to be a very good team. And if Allen just takes another couple steps as an efficient underneath passer because they simply just ask him to do it more with these two great route runners, there's a lot here for Buffalo. So I think we just can't 
overstate the impact of of the Diggs addition because it's huge to me. But so obviously you you think that Josh Allen has you know QB one in his range of outcomes. I mm-hmm. agree with you. I drafted him as my QB two in Scott Fishbowl, my QB two in a startup dynasty league that's a super flex. Uh, so I'm I'm in on I'm I'm riding this Josh Allen train with you guys. Uh, but does this also lead you to be ahead of the market on a guy like Stefan Diggs, who's, you know, mid wide oh, yeah. receiver 20, uh, John Brown too, is, you know, like wide receiver 50 yeah. out there. Are, are, are you ahead of the market on those guys too? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing that I've, I've really tried to implement into my game, no, no matter the, um, the format, whether it's best ball or even redraft is, uh, building upside into my lineups. Um, whether it be through players that could outperform ADP, which is the obvious one, and then one that's a little less obvious to people that don't play DFS is stacking. It's just something that uh, I, I think the average fantasy footballer is going to be a little hesitant to do because uh, you're taking on all this risk with one team. Um, people still think bye weeks matter, which they don't because most of the time, by the time <laughs> we, we get to bye weeks, like everything's so blown up that like your team looks nothing like the team you drafted. Um, so, so if I have potentially to uh, or potentially the best wide receiver do in the league with the quarterback that has that crazy top end. Like I want that connection, especially if I think they're, they're being undervalued, which they, especially John Brown. I mean, Stefan Diggs, like sometimes uh, his, his ADP is kind of wild just because I think the, the bills in general right now, especially Diggs and, um, and Allen are just polarizing figures. So their ADP probably, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just anecdotally from drafting a lot in best ball, it seems like they have some of the highest variances. Yeah. Just people are either, if you get a draft, one guy obviously needs to be high on them, but you get a lot of drafts where, uh, the other nine or other 11 people are just really low on them. So uh, I'm definitely looking to add those guys, uh, with Josh Allen when I can. Yeah, I end up with Diggs and all, which is like no shock. I've been a you know a huge Diggs backer for years. Same with John Brown too. I end up with these guys in like almost every draft because they're going, I think, towards the lower end of their range of outcomes. Like just if Josh Allen doesn't improve, I essentially think Diggs is in a net neutral situation to what he was in in Minnesota last year. Sure. You know, a quarterback that that has questions run heavy offense and he's playing alongside another great receiver in John Brown, whereas it was Adam Thielen in Minnesota. So I really don't think it can get actually get any worse than it was in Minnesota last year. I think he's all like, I do think sometimes like good players just end up being good, despite the fact that there's, you know, plenty of questions going into it. I think these guys have much higher upside than they're being given credit for. Yeah. And I mean, like the run heavy offense, obviously that that's always going to be a concern and you're going to have a quarterback taking away upside of all the players when they're, they have the potential rush for seven to 10 touchdowns, but we saw the best quarterback and it wasn't a wide receiver, but the probably the best value tight end come from the most run heavy offense in the league last year. Um, so just another parallel there. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, we probably will get Marquise Brown doing something similar this year too. another player that I'm uh, really, really in on in Baltimore. All right, let's move on to one of our last things that I wanted to. This is an article that I wrote, but I want to run some of this by you because I think you're sharp and I don't really know. I actually don't really know where you stand on a lot of these Buccaneers players. And I, even after writing an article, I'm doing a series right now called figures who will shape the 2020 NFL season. Fingers crossed that that actually is a thing that exists. <laughs> Bruce Arians, uh, I think fits into that, that series because I just wrote this piece, you know, it almost feels because we've had 
a lot of other much more noteworthy things to discuss in our human existence since March uh, that we sort of overlooked the fact that, hey, the greatest football, perhaps the greatest football player of all time is completely starting over in a new location. And I think it has huge ramifications on everything that goes on in Tampa Bay. And Bruce Arians is really the one that I think has to manage that. However, like just not anecdotally, but driven from data, Bruce Arians, what he usually likes to do with quarterbacks, I don't think fits with what Tom Brady is in this current iteration at all. So I'll talk a little bit more about my thoughts on that as we go go along. But where are you kind of standing right now relative to the market on Bucks players? Yeah, I, I got a chance to look at your article before we hopped on. And actually, the, the day after uh, Brady signed, I, I did a, a write-up on the Buccaneers offense. And uh, I, every year, I also do a, a big coaching breakdown. And, and I kind of mentioned earlier Target and touches are, are derived from talent, not coaching usually, but those outliers what we're looking for. Bruce Arians is like one of the biggest coaching outliers ever when it comes to uh, throwing the deep ball. But uh, I, I think this is a situation where they're going to adjust to Brady. Brady isn't going to adjust to them. Brady isn't all of a sudden yeah. just going to start chucking it downfield like, like Jameis was last year. And I, I think that Arians will he's probably a, a good enough coach or at least has the pieces to allow that to happen. Um, we know that Tom Brady is, is going to just in general quarterbacks that, that are as immobile as Tom Brady are going to check it down to their running backs a lot. And maybe no other quarterback has done that as much as Brady, maybe Drew Brees. Um, and they brought in a running back to do that. Uh, you highlighted uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, who, who can run all, all the routes, uh, intermediate routes, but especially Chris Godwin. So he has his Julian Edelman there. Um, he has a trio of tight ends that could fill that intermediate role. Uh, I, I think the concern, I think we're kind of in lockstep here is just like, if Brady's washed uh, and because, because the quarterback, like the quarterback decline isn't a gradual one. We saw it with um, Peyton Manning, obviously with the Broncos just fell off a cliff. We might be seeing it with Aaron Rodgers, And I think maybe Brett Favre, Brett, I think Brett Favre is like the biggest example, man, like has his, the best season of his career, perhaps in his first year with the Vikings next year, just complete dust. Yeah, and, and I, I think we might have seen that with Tom Brady last year. I, I think maybe people don't want to be admitting it. Like the, it, It's such an easy crutch to say, well, he didn't have the weapons, and now he has the weapon. The weapons don't make you accurate. His on-target percentage uh, dropped to 23rd overall last year. He was top 12 in the previous four years, including two top five seasons. And like I said, he, he checks it down a lot. So in theory, that should improve his uh, his on-target percentage. But uh, if we break it down into the same buckets we talked about with Allen and Lamar Jackson, 0 to 10 yards, 15, 15 to 20, and 20 plus, he was bottom 20, sometimes bottom 25 in all of those areas. He just wasn't accurate last year. And, and you also laid out uh, all, all the areas he struggled. So I, I think this offense has one of the highest ranges of outcomes of any offense. Uh all of their players are being drafted too high, in my opinion. I think they're all being drafted around their ceiling, especially the wide receivers. And then Brady, like, yeah. sh- sure, Brady could finish as a as – a, I think he's being drafted as a quarterback nine. Even if he finishes there, he just doesn't have the quarterback three in his range of outcomes. And I just don't know if he's ever going to give you those spike games. Like, I'd rather just pass on Brady altogether and get a quarterback that could give me the 30-point games when Brady maybe has one of those in his pocket this year. Yeah, I felt like Brady would – 
potentially be underrated as a fantasy commodity when he got to Tampa Bay, but I think the price has adjusted. Because I initially was like, all right, I think he's a top 10 you know, fantasy quarterback, like no question. And now he's being drafted as that, and it, I don't think there's really any discount given to the fact, like you said, last year he looked kind of like <laughs> there, there were times he straight up just didn't look good. You know, yeah. stats aside, there were plenty of times he just didn't look good. And that was my biggest conclusion coming out of the article too, was that like, I agree with you. I think Arians can adjust and will adjust to Brady. I actually think that it didn't get talked about enough. I actually didn't even know that this was the case until I was researching for the article that Brady essentially completely drove the bus on the Gronk acquisition, like just went to Arians and told him and Arians like, do whatever you want. I don't care. (laughs) Like that. I think that even in and of itself is a pretty big admission that Arians understands what this situation is like that he, yeah. number one he's going to have to adjust to his quarterback but like also there's not a more win now team than I, that, that I can ever remember than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this yeah. year like they've got a, a, co- a coach in his late 60s who already came out of a health induced retirement uh, they've got a 43 year old quarterback uh, who could be gone at any minute they brought Gronk out of a you know He's out there promoting cannabis products and having <laughs> yeah. Super Bowl parties. And three months later, he's on a football team. What are yeah. we talking about here? Yeah. So, like, this this team has this, the most narrow windows. Like, it will be mm-hmm. a complete upset if all three of these guys are on the roster come 2023. or tw- No, even 2022. Like, forget about it. I, I think that that's almost like a, just a 0% chance of that happens. So that's something, too, to, to keep in mind when you're looking at guys like Godwin Evans or whatever uh, – it, when when it comes to dynasty leagues or or Keyshawn Vaughn yeah. the running back who who p- people like in dynasty like all of this stuff is worth keeping in mind but the biggest question to me is not just will Brady you know cause Arians to dial back some of the the, the deep passing which I think is almost a lock uh, it's can they even protect Tom Brady yeah. you know because. That was a huge issue in New England last year. Surprisingly, the line play wasn't as great thanks to some injuries. Brady ranked dead last with a 34.9% catchable pass rate when he was under pressure, according to Sports Radar, uh, among like relevant starting quarterbacks to start eight or more games. Threw the ball away a league high 40 times last year, which was essentially just like, I'm not getting sacked. Like, j- that, And that'll kill drives, possessions, whatever, for guys like Godwin and Evans that you want to get a ton of targets. I love Chris Godwin. I think that Mike Evans can be a better fit with Brady than people think because he's there's more to his game than just streaking down on nine routes and catching contested passes from Jameis Winston. But I agree with you. This offense is being drafted at its ceiling. And even if they can make it work for Brady, essentially what you're going to be asking of Tom Brady is get the ball out of your hands quickly, throw it short to intermediate over the middle of the field. That's not exactly like you know, Peyton Manning circa 2013 or whatever Broncos where he was lighting up scoreboards with a lot of talented players. There's a lot of talented players in Tampa Bay. I just don't think that they can be that type of offense this year. Yeah, and, and I think that's actually something that's kind of flying under the radar when people try to analyze what this team's going to look like. Uh, whether it was Jameis last year or Jameis Ryan Fitzpatrick combo a couple of years ago, these guys were checked. Not only were they checking it downfield, but they were – like the classic gunslingers, James led the league in interceptions last year, putting themselves in a position just to have these huge shootout games. Like they didn't have a ton of snaps playing from behind per se, but they were in situations where it's like, 
all right, if we're going to win this game, we need to score 35 points. And that's just not going to be the case this year. Like Tom Brady, like you said, check it down, slower offense. Rarely is going to turn the ball over and put them in a position where um, their defense is going to have their back against the wall. So instead of winning with 35 points, they could be winning with 24 points. And that makes a really big difference in fantasy, obviously. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, love the idea of this team. Hope it works out. But there's just so many questions from a real football and a uh, fantasy football perspective. And and it's happening at the worst time possible. Like if this wasn't the COVID adjusted offseason, oh, yeah. I think I think there's a chance that this could all coalesce much better. But, you know, we got Tom Brady like out there on Instagram doing is the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. <laughs> he's having these uh, yeah. ill-advised joint practices like. I just think there's just it, this this sets up to be look like you said could be great but the potential for it to be a nightmare also really exists and I think we have to take that into account. But all right TJ last thing before uh I let you jump out of here. This is just it's it's random, it's a little off the cuff but it's something we're doing now to keep things spicy here uh in the usual dark time for the NFL but an even darker time than usual. Tell me one thing that you kind of changed your mind about in the past week. Could be a player, a team, an opinion on a stat you used to ignore and now think, you know, it, it might be something or something that is overrated. Could be literally anything. Hit me with it. Yeah, more of like kind of an, an epiphany or revelation I had. Um, I mentioned I've been uh, playing a fair amount of best ball um, this offseason, uh, every offseason. And earlier in the week, I, I started uh, really trying to dial down um, – what my exposures look like, not just players, but um, offenses, having exposure to offenses that are either undervalued or just very um, have, have a lot of potency. And one thing that I noticed is my, my shares of the Chiefs were a little bit low and you can't really control that. Uh, because so many of them are going so high, like you're going to be, uh, you're you're going to be uh, stuck with ADP if you're trying to if you're trying to get Ceh or Tyreek or or um, or uh, Mahomes uh, or Kelsey. Like depending on where you're drafting is going to determine if you can get them or not. But what you can control is getting exposure to the cheap parts of those offense. So one uh, players I've really been dialing in on this last week or so are uh, Damian Williams and Nicole Hardman. Um, whether it be an injury or just standalone value, having cheap pieces of explosive offenses, I think is a, is a very underrated way to uh, lift the ceiling of your fantasy team. And they're players that are, are going late enough where if they don't work out, you're not going to have a problem um, um, dropping them or sitting them on your bench, but the upside is um, it's unmatched. So uh, whether you like the Chiefs or the Ravens or another team, uh, paying attention to those cheap assets that can uh, can really blow up, I, I think, is something that uh, that's that's underrated because we get so caught up in median projections that sometimes uh, we forget about these concepts. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. While there, you know, there's like 80% of those scenarios are, you know, Miko Hardman's not a guy you're going to start any week comfortably in your fantasy football team. There exists 15, 20, whatever percent. Where uh, and that's that might even be too high, but whatever that percentage is real that he ends up being something that is a potential league winner and lifts that ceiling like you're talking about. But TJ, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. As for us, we'll be back on Tuesday, and in the meantime, you can subscribe to the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Therese and Charles uh, while you're waiting for us, and you can sign up for a fantasy football league right now on Yahoo. We have standard leagues, best ball, whatever you're looking for. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, and that's at TJ Hernandez. We are out.
I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, where our current focus is on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, as well as the 2020 elections. Subscribe and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts.